Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we've got Colm Line, the CEO and founder at Fire.com. Colm, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Reem. Great to be here. Delighted to have you. Typical fashion of the show, focus on three main areas. First couple of minutes getting to know you, and then we jump into challenges, pivotal moments. So you grew up in Clontarf. I know you did your leaving mm-hmm. cert in Rohini. What was life like growing up in Dublin in those days? Any favorite stand-up memories? Um, yeah, I, I have five brothers, right? And um, so there were six of us all together, and I think five of us were born within six years. So we were pretty close in age and pretty close. Right. <laughs> um, so it was a busy, a busy household, as you can imagine. And I was number four of six. So I certainly have recollections as being introduced as number four. Uh, to, to people from time to time when, <laughs> when your dad would forget your name momentarily or whatever the case might be. <laughs> Here's them before. Um, and um, so I suppose my recollection is um, of it always being a busy kind of uh, time, busy, busy household, lots going on all the time, uh, lots of things happening. Um, St. Paul's is where I went to school, all right. And um, that was... Uh, my trial run, if you like, um, for the leaping search. <laughs> so I did it a second time. And that was back in you know, 1980, I suppose, a long time ago now. And uh, But I, I know I, I didn't get the first attempt at the leaping search, didn't work out, as to say. And uh, I went back and went to the Institute of Education, actually, and did the, did the repeat of the leaving search there. But um, so it was, I suppose, at that time, it'd be unusual for where for I grew up anyway for people to go to college. A lot of my network wouldn't have gone to college. It wouldn't have been the thing that people did. And um, we were more likely to get a job or to work somewhere. Um, and certainly in my family as well. But some of them, my brothers did go to college later on. Um, a lot of them hadn't gone to college at that stage either. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, it was more kind of um, uh, looking for work. It was also, um, it was a good time, but I don't think we realized how depressed the, the whole economy was back then as well in the early 80s, you know? I mean, it was a dire time. From in, in some respects, and I can remember well when I left college. Like it was like I was eighteen months looking for work, you know, after a BCom and after doing a master's, you know, and uh, it was like there was nothing there. And people used to joke about the um, that everybody just left the country, and and in fact, at one stage, I think most of my brothers were all living abroad, you know, and and people people did leave, and and that was the the big thing of the time was was immigration was the solution to all the woes, you know, that we had, you know. Most of my family ended up leaving as well. The funny fact, I don't think I've announced it on the, your episode, maybe like 126 of this year, and I've not announced this, but I was born in Leicestershire in the UK because my family moved abroad. They couldn't oh, find jobs. Good. It was yeah. either the bank or a civil service or you, you were yeah. on a plane abroad. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happened to me, actually. I, I got, I was, um, I went to UCD and I studied, um, I did a BCom there. And uh, then I did a, a Master of Management Science, which is kind of like a crossover between um, computer science and mathematical programming, if you like. And, um, and when I finished that, I was, as I say, it was a, it, that must have been 1985, and I think it was the end of 86. So 
but it was a good, oh, well over a year before I actually got offered a job. And I got offered a, a three-month contract in the Ulster Investment Bank and that uh, 14 years later. <laughs> so, the, but that was the, like, and again, you're right, like the pressure would have been on you to take that job with the bank, mm. you know, because that would have been perceived as being, well, he's sorted now. <laughs> we have him in the bank, number four is in the bank. So number he's four is the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had you as guest the uh, episode number four. I should have. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. One of the interesting things was that um, being uh, from such an Irish family, we had a, a paper round that my brothers did, and we all did actually, and it went down through the different um, steps uh, from the eldest down to the youngest over over time, and it was quite a big round actually. And uh, but we had some really interesting people that we used to deliver newspapers to. Um, PJ Mara was one of them on Seville Dabney there in Clontarf and it was really interesting getting to know the personalities of the people around around Clontarf at the time and um, and John Teeling was another one and and John Teeling lived around the corner from us and um, he he became um, through the just from knowing him uh, he actually became a great kind of um, mentor certainly to me I know to a lot of other people as well and he became um, a kind of an advisor at a very young young age in terms of what I should do. And I always remember him when I did the, the Living Sir first, he was kind of quite influential in, in helping me to work through the process of, of actually going back to repeat the Living search, you know, and mm-hmm. encouraging me to attend UCD because he would have been teaching in UCD at that time. And um and he, he kind of uh, you know op- opened up that that um that discussion if you like and that dialogue about going to college and potentially doing commerce, you know. And uh, he, he, I think he was quite, quite liked the idea of me. There was one time I was at, uh, I also remember that there was an uh, oil sh- petrol shortages. Again, it's completely unknown to the modern generation, but like you had to queue for about two hours to get petrol in your car. Oh. And uh, they were go- they're all going along the front road there in front of into the garages. And I took my mum's bike and I had loads of newspapers in it. And I'd sell the newspapers for maybe twice the cover price because people were sitting in the queue with nothing to do. Right? So, so they did. But John had come across this and he was quite fascinated at the idea of a young fella selling newspapers like for more than the cover charge um, along to people who were stuck sitting in a queue for a couple of hours, you know. And uh, but ah, he was he was uh, and he, you know, he was a great um, as I say, uh, mind opener and a great kind of um he, he kind of described or the, described the, the what the, the BCom was about and what commerce was about, and really encouraged me and helped me even picking out the subjects that I needed to do the second time round in the leaving cert to try and get through and into college, you know. And um, back then it was sixteen points to get in. I don't know what the equivalent of that is today, but I, I, I if that was four C's in honors papers, and and that's what I got. And and he he actually recommended business organization economics accounting and art as the four subjects that i did <laughs> which which turned out to be true and then four and basically i got in on the minimum points which was fantastic you know and uh, he he was great then as a great lecturer great influence to a lot of people in college too mm. you know he was um he'd do some amazing things with the class and he talked about setting up a portfolio of shares and every week he'd trade those shares and he explained to people about you know high risk, medium risk, low risk, yeah. and 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 what, what way you could do things. And over time, over the term, you'd see his portfolio grow, and the, the low risk one will grow by you know two or three percent. 
the median risk by a couple more percent, and then the high risk would grow by 20% or whatever it was. And he'd be, you know, he'd be describing then how you, you learn so much in that process when he does that, you know. The problem was when he went into exam, to do his exam, the question is like, you know, what's the function of the board of directors? And you're going to say, he never told us that in the class, you know. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, you've got to read the book, you know. You forget sometimes that you've got to read the books as well. But so he, you know, you were asking about early influencers. And he, John, would have been a great kind of influence for, for me and a great mentor to me. And remained a great friend all my life as well, which is great. Talking to him just last Christmas Day, in fact, having a chat with him. So Nice. I had uh, his son, Jack, on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven yeah, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, Lovely guy yeah. as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to skip one of the questions and move to a second one. And it's around the power of networking. Purely because you brought up the paper rounds. I listened to an interview somewhere where you spoke about, I'm assuming he was number one or two in the family that charged you a fee through the rounds on a certain <laughs> street. <laughs> but the power of networking, co-founder of Payments Ireland, member of the UCD Innovation Academy, talk to me about um, why you, or d- what's your thoughts on networking and how powerful has it been to you in, in your thing? And I'm referencing straight from the point of going around and build a network of names within Clontarf when you did the paper rounds right yeah. to today being part of the UCD Innovation Academy? I, I, I think like for, for me, it's been a, like you never do anything on your own, right? So, you know, you're, you're not, you're never on your own in terms of what you want to do, but you're also, you always need help. Like you're always going to need help. And that help can come in a lot of different ways from a lot of different people. Um, and I remember jokingly saying one night in UCD that there was like, um, there were two groups of people like you know, those who've helped me and those who haven't helped me yet. And, and, and like, so there are people and people like to help, you know, and people mm-hmm. like to be helped as well, you know. So I think your network is something that is extremely important for me. I know when it meant most to me would have been when I left Ulster Bank in 2000 and went, to, went out on my own, went out to set up the business. That was when my network really became crucial for me. And it was kind of... Um, pointed out to me, I think, by somebody within the network um, who, who made the comment to me that I had this network and that I should be using this network, you know? And I often thought I needed um, perhaps an excuse to meet up with people. But in fact, you, you don't really, you can just catch up with people too. And you can, now you, you gotta be very careful that you don't waste people's time. And you gotta be very careful that you're respectful of people's time as well. So I, I'm not talking about that, but, you know, just for the sake of it, but, I used to have this expression that I would um, have constant circulation through my network of people and I would organize myself in a, in a fashion that I wouldn't lose touch with people. I remember um, it, it struck me one time when I spoke to um, the head of IT in one of the banks it was and they were referencing a mutual friend of ours and they said they hadn't heard from them in you know, six months so they assumed things weren't going that well. And I remember thinking to myself, that's, if people don't hear from you, they might think that things aren't going so well. So it's very important that people then hear from you and that things are going okay. So meeting people for, you know, for coffee, for lunch, whatever it is, meeting people. And I used to, you know, circulate through the network and I would meet my, my lawyer. I'd meet my account manager in the bank. I'd meet some of my advisors, some of my suppliers, some of the people that I was working with, people that I knew, other people that were in business. And I would tell them about what I was doing at that stage, why I you know, was leaving, 
but what it was that I was trying to create. I, the feedback that you get is often really, really helpful as well, particularly from in an informal setting like that, you know, and you, you get you get kind of, you can bounce ideas around the place, but you can get feedback. And obviously you can get connections and introductions as well from those people when they understand what it is that you're doing. So for me, the, the network has always been, and to this day is, is, a, is a huge part of, of, of what I do. Um, even I found it obviously quite frustrating during lockdown, not being able to maybe utilize and enjoy that network as much as I do, you know. Um, but uh, so, but you know, but you can, you can, we're over that now, and, and so I now back out meeting people on, on on a fairly regular basis and trying to, and I do it quite a bit in the UK as well, you know, where I, I'm involved in UK finance. I sit on the Payments Products and Services Board there for UK finance. I chair the digital PSP group, is called. I'm involved in the strategic participant group for the new payments architecture in the UK as well. So I'm, I'm heavily involved with a lot of the UK um, groups and and um, like entities that are setting out the architecture of the, 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 the new payment systems, basically for the future of the UK economy. So I, I, I really enjoy that type of um, talk about the future as well. And, and, you know, and so when I can combine a good networking opportunity with a, a great discussion or about the vision of the future of payments and the future way in which you know things might work. I find that interesting, I suppose, and it gets me up in the morning. You know, sad it might sound, but <laughs> but I just I am I am fascinated by the you know the payments um, industry and the whole underlying architecture and and the, the the mix of legacy and digital solutions that are in there. And, legacy players and digital players and, and how the whole thing will pan out. Really, how it pans out for the customer ultimately is what I love to see, you know, both the business and consumers as well and what, the, what way they might end up. But I certainly wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for like the great um, support and help that I would have got from my network and indeed from my family too. I mean, your family is your network too. And, um, and certainly, when I went out to raise money for Relax Payments at the very start, um, I, I, you know, all the VCs said no, basically. Like it wasn't, it, it didn't happen. And it wasn't because it was a bad idea or because I was a bad person. It was simply just not the right time, I suppose, and not the right, you know, industry. And it wasn't the right fit for, for the funds that we met. And, and so when that happened, as a great friend of mine, he's passed away now, Michael McCabe, he'd worked with me. He'd been my boss in the bank. And Michael said to me, you know, why don't you go out and raise money? Because you know loads of, loads of people in your network do what's called a BES back in the day. This is back in 2001. And, um, and Michael, like what he did was he went in front of that. And so he went to other people on my behalf. And he said, I'm investing in Colin's business. You know, I think you should too. And you learn afterwards how powerful it is to have somebody advocate for you is a, is a, is a, is a wonderful compliment, but also... A wonderful effective way of getting other people to buy in because it's not me trying to pitch to you it's actually somebody that we both know who's pitching to you on my behalf and you're more inclined then to say yes so the network in that context and michael's role it, it was hugely instrumental in helping to raise that money we raised three hundred twenty thousand euro it was two hundred fifty thousand irish punts some of your listeners might remember them um back back in 2001 so two hundred fifty thousand irish pounds which is about three hundred twenty thousand euro um from family and friends and it was the network basically that funded relax payments and uh, you know because what's interesting is that historically and um, that's the only money that we ever raised 
you know, up, up until the time that we sold. So we, we never had capital from any other source into the business and it, that, that became the, the sole capital that we raised externally, which was done through the network. So, so I suppose you're right, like my network is 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 everything. And it's, it certainly, it, it got me to this point. And it's something that what's really important is I make a conscious effort all the time to circulate through that network, what I would say to you, you know. I don't let it just happen. I, I, yeah. I, I pull the triggers, if you like, to make sure that it does happen. I'm glad to hear that the fire is still burning underneath your ass. It would have been easy to exit uh, after Relix. But look how fast the industry has continued to move since then. You mentioned punt. Strangely enough, I have this in my wallet, 10 Irish pounds. I've had it in my oh, wallet yeah. for about 10 years. <laughs> just as you mentioned it, I just remembered I still have it. Um, yeah. You mentioned time uh, at the start when you started talking there. I chatted to Stephen Bure before. I'm not sure if you know him, the founder of Apple UK. Uh, right. In Digicel. Uh, oh, well. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He, he ha- he said to me when I was chatting to him, uh, time for an individual is a trait uh, that I believe successful entrepreneurs have in common. What traits do you see in other successful entrepreneurs? I think I see, I see, yeah, obviously, the, you know, you see passion and you see um, perseverance. Um, a lot of the time, people that stick with the program, they 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 tend to um, realize that you know um, Rome isn't built in a day, and that th- there's there's a whole load of obstacles that can come at you along the way. I sometimes call them fences or hurdles that you need to get over. And if you look at all of those fences, you're unlikely to complete the race. Right? Mm-hmm. You won't do it because you'll say there's no way I can get over all them. So, so what you've got to do is get over one at a time. And that's what I, I think what I see in people. Um, and I know a lot of people obviously who have been in their own businesses and who have like, achieved success in it. And they would be, um, yeah, I, I would commonly see them as, as having great passion, great dedication. And also I think there's a, an element of, of visionary kind of thinking to, to them as well. An element of kind of, of trying to say like, um, Sometimes the way I look at it is that, like, if people say you want to go from A to B in something, um, people will often say, well, where am I now? And then where do I want to be? And then how do I get there? But I think what I see in, in, in so a lot of entrepreneurs is they start the conversation about where do I want to be? Not where I am now. Right? Mm-hmm. So the focus of the conversation becomes on the, on the vision, on the endpoint, on the journey, and not, not where I am now. So... I don't, I don't constrain myself by thinking about where I am. Because if we start off with where I am now, I'm going to take incremental steps right, towards a certain destination. But if I can kind of say, look, the vision and the goal, that's where we want to be. Now let's work out how we're going to get there. Sometimes I think you can take bigger steps. So I think the characteristics of, of like the people that I would know would be often that their thinking is led by the vision. Their thinking is led by the end point. And not really where they are, you know, and um, something that I'd see. And I think the last thing I suppose, like really good people tend to be really good leaders and mentors, and tend to be really good with people. They tend to be, you know, they tend to to build. They tend to give people an opportunity for for those people to be able to grow and to build as well, you know, as 
the company itself, you know, that people, people scale up within the organization too, and they're given opportunity and they're given the, the chance to, to grow and to, to develop as, as, as individuals within an organization too, you know. That can be one of the more rewarding things as well when you see your team, like many of the people, for example, from Relax Payments have gone on to hold like really senior positions within the industry and within global payments as well who required us. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to see those people who are, who've come through that whole journey, like hold those positions now, like within the industry is, is super to see, you know, it really is good giving people that opportunity. Ulster Bank, I'm going to take it back a bit. You yeah. already referenced your, uh, oh, wrong word. You've talked about how big of an impact John had on you after you left UCD, you spent almost 14 years with Ulster Bank finishing up as head of IT um, mm. and after that followed a series of businesses that you founded but let's stick with Ulster Bank for a moment what key lessons did you take from your time there did you improve any skills um, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll leave it as open as that yeah I'd mentioned Michael before Michael had been my uh, my boss there for a long time and Michael, Michael was, McCabe uh, Michael McCabe yeah he, he was um, mm. he was a phenomenal uh, project change maker if you like within the organization. So he would project management, program management, and change in business process re-engineering. I would have been a business analyst, and I, I finished up as head of what was called Central IT within the Ulster Bank markets, so the capital market side of Ulster Bank, rather than the retail side. And I think the big thing that I learned, I think, from Michael and from working there for that time, and um, I spent some time in Lombard and Ulster as well, was that implementing projects and implementing um, changes within the organization was what I would have done. Uh, so implementing new systems, uh, new work practices, whatever it might be, uh, even at one stage I managed um, moving to a new building with them and the infrastructure within that. Um, that the kind of, um, for me, it was about program management, I suppose, and project management and how to get, um, how to move forward with a group of people um, to achieve the again the, the the common vision and the common goal was something that like the techniques I suppose that you learn in in a structured environment like a bank were were very helpful. Mm. The ability to be able to drive say a group of diverse people forward by concentrating on the outputs that people need to produce, and you concentrate on the outputs, the interim rather than the interim steps. So I'm not telling you what to do; I'm telling you what the output needs to be that ability to be able to think outputs and to be able to get people to produce outputs of certain milestones along the way in a, in a project plan was, again, I'm looking back at all this. I didn't think yeah. like this now. It's easy, <laughs> it's easy to time. look back. <laughs> you know? It's very, like when people kind of, like when we chat like this, it's really interesting because people say, God, like, you know, you're brilliant the way you thought of all that back then. I didn't think of any of this back yeah, then. Yeah. You, you only see this retrospectively and they're learning the learning, though, was was very structured. It was very organized. It was being, you know, that ability to be able to be clear about the expectation that you want from people, and then being clear about the reward that they get when they achieve that expectation. You know, all those things come into being, and it makes you a makes you a good manager of people. It makes you a good leader. It makes you a good in terms of being able to 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 affect change because most of what we do is about changing, you know, about changing the way something works, changing the way customer's process works, whatever it might be. And so if, if you can if you can manage that change in a way, and I think that's that's certainly from 
excuse me, from working in the bank, that 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 change in the ability to be able to manage change, I think was something that I built up, a, you know, a, a great skill in, and um, also a lot of expert, a lot of uh, experience, if you like, of, of, of doing, of implementing change. Um, a lot of the time, as I say, would have been technology-led change, um, mm. but there's, a, there's other types of changes as well, that, that projects that I would have worked on. So, yeah, I think I've that's probably one of the big things. I've got four questions left here. <laughs> First one is, uh, be ashamed to finish a podcast without people getting a sense of what your current business, fire.com is. I'll leave yeah. links to the website and everything below, but why don't you give your 60-second uh, sure. elevator yeah. pitch? Yeah, what we're doing at the moment with fire is we're helping businesses to basically to integrate like, like, be like their systems and the applications that they have to our accounts, our debit cards, and our payment services. So that, that way, most of the businesses that use fire nowadays are able to automate all their payment processes. So we have some amazing clients. Um, some of them, we have like, I can't name some of them, but, but some of the biggest banks in the world actually now have used some of the fire infrastructure. So we're able to, for example, give our customers access to some of the services that we, the payment services that we're regulated to provide. So we can provide obviously accounts, we can provide accounts in sterling and euro, we can provide debit cards, we can provide what are called open banking payments. So we can enable retailers now in Ireland and the UK to get paid directly from their customers, from their bank accounts without using cards. So basically you just go online, you're selling online. And instead of saying pay with your card, you can now go pay, pay from your bank account. The person taps on that button, the phone pops up, they say, which bank are you with? They say, whatever, Revolut or NatWest or whatever. Yeah. The app pops open, everything's pre-filled, and they make the payment. And there's no credit card details to be entered or anything like that. So really innovative stuff. And we're now providing, yeah. there's a large bank in the UK that's now using Fire to provide that solution to its customers, right? Which is, which is great. And, um, and then we have other financial institutions that use us for processing payments in the UK. We've got um, companies like Buy Me, which I'm sure you, yeah, you know. Yeah, Devin yeah, Hughes, yeah. great Devin, guy. Super, super chap. And Devin is a, a long-term client of Fire. And what they do is all the personal shoppers that Devin employs, they all have Fire debit cards. And what we're able to do is through our API, and through the technology that we have, we can give Devin and his company control over when those cards can be used, how much they can be used for, and who they can be used by, right? So that, that that way it gives them an element of control over the debit cards that you mightn't get from a regular bank or a regular supplier, you know. And um, we've got then super companies like um, Invoice Fair, Market Fair, um, Accelerated Payments, Great Finance are all customers of Fire as well who might be familiar to. These are alternative lenders in the Irish mm -hmm. market. And I've heard of Great they, Finance. Someone was on yeah. recently from Great Finance. Yeah, probably Derek Butler um, is the CEO there, perhaps. Yeah, and um, again, great companies and. Um, what we do for them all is we, we basically, our customers can open any number of accounts that they need through the API. They can issue number, any number of cards and they can get access to faster payments in the UK, BAX payments, direct debits, whatever payment services they need, basically, we can give them. But the real beauty of it is, is that it's an integrated experience. In other words, all those businesses can integrate their systems directly mm -hmm. to their accounts. So they're not having, it's like somebody said to me one day, how come when I go for lunch in I know, Cavison's in glass tools, pick a nice place. Um, you know, Google Maps and Facebook will tell me where, I, you know, am I enjoying my fish, basically, right? They, they'll know where I am at that point in time. But when the lodgement arrives in my bank account, they don't tell me, right? In most cases, as a business, you know, you don't know that when you has been. 
So that, that, I remember somebody saying that to me years ago. I remember saying, that's absolutely true. So obviously what we do is like, we give you all the accounts that you need. And basically we've got these web hooks. So every time money comes into your account, we ping your system automatically and tell you we've just been paid and you update your ledgers and your audio books and so on and so forth. So we're, we're kind of, we're very excited by it. Like it's about 30, 35 people at the moment. We work in the UK and in Ireland. We're, Brexit was a real pain for us because Brexit really knocked us back for a long time because we had to um, get regulated in the UK as well. And we had to go through the process of acquiring a license in the UK. So that, that was a kind of, um, that was a bit of a, a, a backward step, but we've done that now. And we're now kind of, we're now out of the blocks again. And so we're hoping to ramp up from the sales and marketing perspective, just recruited a new chief operating officer. And we just recruited a new chief revenue officer too, which is based in London. So we've offices over there in Shoreditch. Um, so nice. I need to get back to traveling basically <laughs> as well. So I'm looking forward to that. October is the time I've said to go back to do nice. the business travel again. So yeah. Yeah, be I'm good. not complaining about going back. I was on a plane last week and I, and I loved it. You loved it, yeah. 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 No, I think we need it. Like it's uh I'm looking forward to it to be honest. Um and like it's a it's a great market and it's a great opportunity. And as I say, I'm very fortunate to have a team around me as well. Um two of the lads that are involved with the fire and the management team were both in Relax Payments as well. Owen, who started the company with me. Beautiful. Um he's the chief product officer, and Paul then who's the CFO with Relax is also the um is the CFO with Fire, you know. So it's great to be working with people like that for you know decades basically at this stage and and we all you know we're we're you know we work together very well and we we are just going through the process of updating the strategy right now actually and and trying to keep it you know to be a strategy led what i was saying earlier trying to make sure that mm -hmm. the vision is clear and that you know that we're, we're we're all motivated to achieve that goal and that vision and that we see ourselves as becoming you know, we want fire to end up as being an integral part of the of the business ecosystem in terms of you know integrated digital accounts. Businesses are going more and more digital now all the time. They have to, right? They've got to embrace digital technology. But the last mile in that is often the account, and the accounts mm -hmm. that you get from traditional banks are not digital really in their nature. So what we give you is digital accounts that that fit into your systems that can integrate into Slack, that can integrate into your CRM, that can integrate into your EPOS and your ERP systems, you know, really smoothly and really neatly. Because we've got this really nice API that wraps around the whole solution, you know. Let's finish up with these two final questions. The last one might be a bit of a tough one, so I'll ask this one first. Yeah, great. If you were the final decision maker in adding a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, high school for our American listeners, what would it be and why? Archaeology. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, it's so tempting to say, you know, coding and all that type of stuff. But like, mm. I'm, I, uh, I personally would be fascinated by, um, you know, history. And uh, I think there's an awful lot of things that we can learn from history and from the past that if we did understand them and study them, and discuss them more, that it could actually change our mind about the way we do things today and the way we might do things into the future, you know? Mm. So I'm not a huge fan of forcing um, technology down people's necks at a young age, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I think I think people can learn that stuff as and when they want to. Um, if they're into it. Uh, if they're into it, yeah, exactly. Um, but we need a whole lot more um, brighter thinking out there about the future of the world <laughs> and everything that we do in it. And I think there are still keys to be unearthed from our history that could mm -hmm. help us manage the future, you know? 
That's that's a great answer. That, uh, thank you for giving an answer. Wasn't <laughs> <so winning>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> I did say I'd leave a tough question for last. In in essence, it's a simple question, but it can be tough to answer. And I'll ask it. It's what's your definition of success? I, I know when I was young, um, I. I was asked that question in, in my interview, I think, for Ulster Bank. And, you know, what, 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 would, you, what would you like to be? And I, I remember thinking I wanted to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. And I do, I have to confess, I do like being in that position. Right? Um, it, it, I'm not going to deny that. Um, and, it, 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 and I think I like it because I used to think that that was the end, but I think that's just a means towards the end, to be honest. You know, that success for me is... is, is Know, waking up in the morning so with a smile on my face and wanting to do what I am about to do today and you know enjoy actually getting up in the morning and kind of saying right my agenda today is a whole lot of interesting things now maybe my you know the, the position that I find myself in has allowed me to do that and um, but I, I think and that's what I've learned but certainly for me like it is you know waking up happy in the morning I suppose and 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 and, and not happy but I suppose Waking up and feeling enthusiastic about what's in your diary, you know. I'm kind of I'm looking forward to this call. I'm looking forward to those meetings tomorrow. I'm not dreading them. I'm not mm-hmm. kind of going, oh bollocks, I'm meeting you. Sorry, or, or you know, I've got to meet somebody next week. Like I, I, I don't really, and I'm not looking forward to that meeting. I don't like that, like, and so so I I I don't have that, thankfully. So I do genuinely feel really enthusiastic and and happy to be doing the stuff that I'm doing. You know what I mean? And and but I also recognise that I'm really fortunate because I'm doing it um, as a choice, which is very fortunate for myself, you know. My girlfriend often often laughs at me because any time I come home at the end of the day, she says, how many people today that you hang out with were over the age of 55 and 60? And the majority of people that I hang out with are over the age of 55. <laughs> and what I've seen with some of them who've been successful in their career, well, I mean, successful in this area is they've managed to sell a business for a couple of million. Some of them, I'd say about 30 to 40% of them that I know have lost that fire underneath their ass. And a couple of years later, they're kind of wondering aimlessly, like, what will I do with myself? And it's great to yeah. see that you're not in that position. You still have that smile to get up in the morning. Yeah. I think I'd be really fearful that if I stopped working, that would happen to me. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really good point that you make. And I think that, I think that can happen and I've seen that in some people. And I think, you know, you know, obviously you're gonna have, you know, bad times and bad days from time to time. Um, but you can't let that deter you from, you know, the overall good good time that you're having. And really important to enjoy the journey as well as the the end, the destination, you know, you've got to enjoy the, the steps that you take along the way and you gotta make, you know, that a, a, a pleasure for yourself. But I think you're right. I think I'm the type of person that if I did stop, I think. I could deteriorate very quickly. And uh, I, I thought, so, you know, I, I like being busy. And then as the saying goes, if you want something, don't ask a busy man, you know, um, because it's more likely to happen. I've gotten close to a few of those people and I've asked them, what was it that got you into business in the first place? And every single one of them said some version of uh, to make money to provide their family. And then they hit that financial freedom and what, what, what else was in it for them? So... Hmm that's why I think they've just gone through this period of like, I don't know what I'm doing with myself. 
I don't need to earn money because I can live a lifestyle comfortably. I can play golf, but then they get itchy and they might frustrate their spouse or whatever. So, yeah, I think you're always going to have like, you know, projects that you want to do. So, you know, I, I love mm-hmm. the burden. I love like woodworking. I love growing stuff in the garden. I've got, I've got all those things. And there's an endless list of projects that I'd love to do, right, with regard to that. And that's fine, but they, they need to be there, but they need to be there to help you with you'll be. And, and, I suppose having that balance is is really nice, and um, I certainly feel that, um, you know, uh, th- thankfully when the exit came, you know, I certainly felt young enough and enthusiastic enough. I mean, th- another person actually who, who was a great influence on me, who, who worked for a long, long time after his retirement, was Lawrence Crowley. Lawrence Crowley was chairman in Relex, and Lawrence very sadly passed away last year, and Lawrence was a great influence on me as well. And Lawrence stayed working, you know well into the, 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 the COVID times, I believe. And um, mm. as, as the chairperson of Relax, he, he was a super sharp, you know, extremely um, uh, well-informed and um, just brilliant mind that you could work with, you know? And so he, he, he would, if, if John was an influence in my early career, Lawrence was a great influence in my later career. And he'd be, that's the type of thing I'd love to be able to do is to remain like working with people, you know, to remain. And we are, mm-hmm. you know, as well as fire, we're obviously invested into about 18, 20 different businesses um, in the UK and Ireland now as well, where we're investors in early stage companies as well. Do you know what I mean? So we're getting the opportunity then to work with other businesses now as well. And so into the future, I'll be able to maybe, you know, potentially get more involved in one or other of those as well, which would be great, you know? Nice. Yeah. Colm, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. No, I wish you continued success. I, uh, all the way from selling newspapers on the streets, maybe one day you'll get your... You'll get your garden centre set up and running. That's it. (laughs) But uh, thanks a million for being my guest today. Delighted to have met you, Liam. Many thanks for having me on the show. Beautiful morning. Beautiful morning, baby.